Welcome to the Parsha Share this week for Parshas Mishpatim. This week's Share is sponsored by Aaron and Lillian Fuchs and Jason Fuchs in memory of Aaron's sister and Jason's aunt, Shandel Gutman. Shandel Gittel, that's Reb Chaim Shol, Alea Shalom, whose yard site is on the 11th of Shvat. May her neshama have an aliyah and may we all be zeichet to see Trias HaMesim. Parshas Mishpatim begins with the posseg, Ve'ele HaMishpatim HaShetosim Lifnehem. And these are the rules, the laws, that you shall set before them. God instructed Moshe to lay out the basic list of civil laws that would govern the lives of the Jewish people going forward. Rashi addresses the curious wording in this posuk, Asher Tosim Lifnehem, that you shall set before them. What exactly does this phrase mean? Rashi explains it as follows, based on a medrash. God said to Moshe, don't let it enter your mind to say, I shall teach them a section of the Torah or a single halacha merely twice or three times until it becomes familiar to them. In other words, they'll know the words, but I won't take the trouble to make them understand the reason of each thing and its significance. That's no good, God said to Moshe. That's not at all what I want. And that is what it means when it says, that you shall set before them. It needs to be set before the Jewish people like a fully laid table, ready for someone to begin a meal, with everything ready for eating. By the way, that medrash, this Rashi, is where Yosef Karo got the idea from to call his comprehensive halacha book Shulchan Aruch. The whole idea was that the Shulchan Aruch is a one-stop shop containing everything that a Jew needs to observe halacha. He or she doesn't need to go and look anywhere else, as the Mechaber explains in his introduction. The Dorash Mordechai asks a very good question. Ad heichon magia chevosoi shalarav lelamed estalmidov besafa berua sheyis yashvu hadvorim aliboisam. How far does a Rebbe have to go when teaching Torah to his students to ensure that they have mastered the topic that's being taught? Unsurprisingly, he quotes the Gemara in Erevin, Nundala Domad Beis, Rabbi Preda Havalehahu Talmida, Davatonale Arbam Ozimni Vagoma. Rabbi Preda had a certain student whom he would have have to teach 400 times because it took him that many times to learn the material and know it properly, as he was apparently incapable of understanding it otherwise. By the way, Rabbi Preda is not mentioned very often in the Gemara. We know that he lived to a very advanced age and that we, he was from the third generation of Amoroim in Eretz Yisrael, a contemporary of Rabbi Ami. In Meseches Megillah, Davchof Zayin Ahmed Beis, there's a story about Rabbi Prado's students asking him why he had merited to live such a long life, longer than anyone else. He answered them that he had always been careful about three things. He was always the first in the Beis Medrash. He always made sure to ask a Koyen to do the Zimun before Birkas HaMozayin. And he never ate meat from an animal that had not had the designated parts given as the tithe to the priests, to the Kurnim. 
But whatever his own views were on his incredible longevity, surely Rabbi Prado's greatest virtue was his extraordinary patience when teaching his students, and the real explanation for his long life, and particularly this student who needed to go over the material 400 times before he understood it. The Gemara relates that on one occasion, when he was teaching this student, they requested Rabbi Prado's presence for something important, a mitzvah that he needed to do straight after he'd finished teaching. Rabbi Prado consented to attend whatever it was, and then went ahead and taught his student 400 times as usual. But on this occasion, the student still hadn't got it after the 400 times. Rabbi Prado said to his student, "My dear boy, what's going on? Why aren't you getting it? What's the difference today?" The student blushed. "I'm sorry," he said. "But as soon as they asked you to go somewhere after the lesson," I was distracted, thinking to myself that you're going any minute, and I won't be able to get what you're teaching me because you're leaving. What did Rabbi Prado do? Do you know what he did? Amazing! Rabbi Prado said to his student, "Forget everything else. Just pay attention to me, and I will teach you. And don't worry, I will not leave you until you have fully mastered what I am teaching." And guess what? He taught it to him again. Another four hundred times, when he finished teaching his student the second four hundred times, and the student finally understood. Now, after hearing it eight hundred times, a baskel, a divine voice, spoke out and said to Rabbi Prado, "What would you prefer as a reward for this incredible thing that you did for your student? Would you prefer to have four hundred years to be added to your life?" Or would you prefer that you and the rest of your generation merit a guaranteed spot in the world to come in Olam Haba? Well, without hesitation, Rabbi Prado said, "I prefer that I and my generation merit a guaranteed spot in the world to come." To which God responded by addressing the angels in heaven, "Give him both," he said. Rabbi Prado shall live a very long life. And he and the rest of his generation will merit merit a guaranteed spot in the world to come. The Darsh Mordechai is totally mystified by this story. He asks a very pertinent question: Why wasn't Rabbi Prado given a reward for the fact that he went over whatever he was teaching his student each and every day four hundred times? I mean, who does that? Why was it only when he did it four hundred times the second time that God stepped in and offered him the rewards? The Darsh Mordechai quotes his Mechutan, Rav Shmuel Trovitz, to answer the question. Rav Trovitz, Zichron Levracha, was the rabbi of the Kiryat Kalev neighborhood in Rishon LeZion. He founded the Knesses Meir Yeshiva, and he was the author of the Sefer Madani Shmuel. You can find his Shiurim on Kol Haloshen. Rav Trovitz has a beautiful answer to the question on this story about Rabbi Prado, based on the Rashi that I mentioned earlier. It's simple, he says. You need to teach your student as many times as he needs until it is like a shulchan aruch, a fully laid table ready for someone to begin a meal with everything ready for eating. If it takes five or ten times, that's great. If it takes fifty, so be it. 
and if it takes 400, you've got to do it 400 times. Because that's your job. That's what God instructed Moshe Rabbeinu. And he was the first teacher. He was Rabbeinu for the Jewish people. And the point is, God is not going to hand out extraordinary rewards for doing your job. But if the student is at fault for not knowing the material because he or she is distracted by their own fault, nothing to do with the teacher, and the teacher still goes the extra mile, and in Rabbi Prado's case that meant another 400 times, that is truly worthy of reward, which was why God offered Rabbi Prado those rewards. But the Dorosh Modcha is not yet satisfied. Okay, Rabbi Prado was extraordinary, and that's why he got that reward. But what about the other people of his generation? What had they done to deserve a guaranteed spot in the world to come? In order to merit such an incredible reward, you need to do something, surely. Make an effort. Put yourself out. What had they done? Nothing. They had done nothing. And yet, they were promised a guaranteed place in Olam Habo. What's going on? The Dorash Modchai quotes the Chidush Harim to answer this question. The Chidush Harim notes that Chazal tell us that Misas Tzadikim Mechaperes, the passing of great Tzadikim is a kapara, an absolution, a way of gaining clemency for the people who are left behind. Why should that be the case? What have the people left behind after the Tzadik's passing done to deserve clemency for their sins? They're sitting at home, minding their own business, going about their daily lives, and suddenly they hear an announcement that some great rabbi has died thousands of miles away. Nothing has changed for them in any practical sense, and yet they are forgiven for their sins. Why? It seems ridiculous. But it's not ridiculous, says the Chidush Harim. All their lives, these great tzaddikim led exemplary lives, but the actual details of their lives are not known neither their incredible devotion, nor their astonishing piety. Yes, it might have been known to a few people around them, but most people are totally unaware. Suddenly, they arrive in heaven, in Shamaim, and there is an outpouring of rachamim, of mercy, as a result of all their zechusim, all of their merits, a reflection of an entire life filled with goodness and virtue. And that rachamim is abundant so much so that it flows everywhere, even for people who themselves are not worthy of it. That is what happened with Rabbi Prado, his extraordinary act of kindness. To teach that student another 400 times triggered an abundant outpouring of reward credits, so much so that not only he received a reward, but everyone else in his generation got in on the act as well. The Darsh Modcha has another explanation for Rashi's characterization of Asher Tosim Lifnehem as a Shulchan Oruch. He recalls a story he once heard about Ravram Modcha Alta, the Ger Rebbe known as the Imre Emes, Echetzadik Livrocha. One of his Hasidim, one of his followers, came to ask him for his advice about his efforts to study Torah. He told the Imre Emes, I learn Torah all the time, but I can't remember it. 
it just slips from my mind. I go to a shear, and the next day someone asks me, what did you learn in the shear? I was listening intently, but as hard as I tried to remember what the Magid Shear said in the shear, I can't remember. It's totally slipped out of my, my head, my mind. Please, Rebbe, advise me what to do. Please help me. The Imre Emes looked at his chosid with a piercing gaze. David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Le'olam le'eshkach pikudecha kivam chi I will never forget your precepts because they keep me alive. Do you know why King David never forgot the Torah he studied, said the Imre Emes? Kivam chi Because the Torah was his oxygen. Without it, he would have died. Tell me, he asked, has it ever happened that you forgot and by mistake you tried to put food in your nose or your ears instead of putting it in your mouth? No, I didn't think so. Do you know why you didn't make that mistake? Kivam chiyisani. Because you need food to live. And if you put food in your nose or in your ears, after a very short time, you would die of starvation. Things that you need to live, you never forget what to do. That's why David HaMelech never forgot his Torah. Kivam chiyisani. And that's why the Medrash quoted by Rashi uses the analogy of a Shulchan Aruch, a fully laid table ready for someone to begin a meal with everything ready for eating. Everyone at such a table knows exactly what to do. They don't need an instruction manual. You don't need any directions. The laid table speaks for itself. You can start eating and that's what you do. The same thing is with Torah. It needs to be a shulchan aruch, kivam chigisani. It's food for your soul. And when something is food for your soul, you make sure that it is a shulchan aruch in your life. Let's turn now to the first mitzvah of the Mishpatim, contained in Parshas Mishpatim. It is the mitzvah of Eved Ivri, an indentured servant. Ki sikne Eved Ivri, sheish shonim tavoid uvashviis yetzilachovshichinom. When you buy an indentured servant, he should work for you for six years, and in the seventh, he should go free. The Torah is talking about a Jewish person who becomes a servant to another Jew. There are two ways for a man to become such a servant, an Eved Ivri. The first is if he stole money or items from someone but cannot repay his victim after he is caught and found guilty. In such a situation, the Beisdin, the Jewish court, can order for him to be, quote-unquote, sold into the status of Eved Ivri, a Jewish servant. The proceeds of the sale are then used to repay the victim of his theft. The second way you can become an Eved Ivri is if you are having trouble making ends meet, you can't pay your bills, your creditors are running after you, you have the option as a last resort of selling yourself into the status of Eved Ivri. The maximum time of such indentured servantry is six years or until the Yovel, which could interrupt the six-year period. Many of the commentaries are bemused by the fact that of all the mitzvahs that God could have chosen to start off the parasha dealing with civil laws, 
he decided to choose the laws of Eved Ivri. Surely there are other less obscure laws relating to civil matters that could have kicked off this aspect of the mitzvahs we have to observe. The laws of business, for example, or the laws of damages, or the laws relating to murder and manslaughter. Why choose this very unusual mitzvah to headline all of the mishpatim? It's odd, to say the least. Don't you agree? Rabbi Salanta, the founder of the 19th century Musa movement, offers a compelling explanation. It's an explanation that will resonate with every parent. Every family with children has some children that follow the regular patterns of behavior, while others deviate from the norms and wander off the beaten track. A parent faced with a wayward child will obviously focus as much attention as possible to get that child back on the straight and narrow. And imagine one of those children is resorting to criminal-type behavior or becoming a miscreant in some other way, despised by others for their antisocial conduct. You, as a loving parent, will do whatever you can to change the narrative. You will shower them with your love, sometimes acting tough, other times just giving abundant love, always trying to corral that child back into line. There is no parent who loves their child who will reject that child even when they do something that society considers wrong. Love trumps everything. A parent is always there for their child. That's the way it should be. That is the lesson the Torah is teaching us here, says Rav Yisrael Salanta. One of God's children has become a thief. God doesn't shove him down to the bottom of his list of concerns. On the contrary, there he is, the thief, the guy who can't pay back his debts, the outcast, at the top of the list, number one, we need to reintegrate him into society, into the community, into the family. We bring him into our home. We show him love. We show him how to behave, what it means to be part of a family. In fact, the Torah is quite clear. We must favor the Eved Ivri. We must show him that he has value, despite his misbehavior. We must be ready to give him the good bed, the good pillow, to have him eat our meals with us, to give him the good food. As long as he is doing his part and pulling his weight, he must become a treasured member of the household, valued for what he can become in the future, not discredited and cast out for what he has done in the past. There are so many rules about treating the Eved Ivri with respect, preserving and even elevating his dignity. And you know what the lesson is here. Everyone, even those who you might think are outcasts, everyone is worthy of respect and must be treated with dignity. And that's why this is the first mitzvah of all the civil laws given to the Jewish people. We think that ordinary people can be treated ordinary, and it's just the elevated people who have to be given the red carpet treatment. But by the way, who decides who is ordinary? Your perception? What do you even know? Your eyes can and do deceive you. 
There is a well-known story about Rav Yeshua Leib Diskin from the time when he was the Rav of Brisk before he moved to Jerusalem. He was once traveling out of town and there was a terrible rainstorm and he was in, in the rain, he was getting drenched and although he wasn't going to stop in that particular place and he hadn't made any arrangements, he went to the local Jewish inn where visitors from out of town could come and stay. He knocked on the door and at first the guy, the innkeeper, didn't even answer the door. Eventually he came to the door and he looked at Rav Diskin, drenched and bedraggled, standing there in front of him. What do you want? he asked gruffly. Bear in mind, Rav Yeshua Leib Diskin was one of the greatest rabbis living in Europe at the time, renowned for his scholarship and piety, whose advice was sought by every rabbi and lay leader out there. But on the doorstep of this inn, he looked like an ordinary Jewish traveller, very wet, down on his luck, trying to get out of the downpour. We've got no room here, the innkeeper said. Please, Rav Yeshua Leib Diskin said, I can't stay outside, it's cold and wet. The innkeeper scowled. Okay, I guess you can sleep on the floor in the laundry room, he grunted. Rabdiskin tried to make the best of it and kept out of the innkeeper's way. A short time later, there was a commotion at the door. The Koydan of a Rebbe had arrived with a large entourage, like Hasidish Rebbe's do. The innkeeper opened the door with a big smile and a hearty Shalom Aleichem. No task was too insignificant or great, as he did everything he could to accommodate the Rebbe and his entourage. He fed them, he unpacked their luggage, he hovered over them trying to anticipate anything that they might need. Suddenly, the Koydan of a Rebbe noticed a fellow sitting on the floor in the laundry room. He squinted and rubbed his eyes in disbelief. Aren't you the Briskarov of Yeshua Leib Diskin? he asked. They'd met before. But he couldn't believe that this great rabbi was sitting like a schnorrer on the floor. The Kodnava Rebbe turned to the innkeeper. What have you done? Do you know that this person, this man, is literally one of the greatest rabbis of our time? Why is he on the floor? Have you lost your mind? The innkeeper's mouth dropped open and he went as white as a sheet. I had no idea, he stammered. I thought he was just a regular person. What are you talking about? The Rebbe said. And he made place at the table for the Briskarov to sit next to him. I'm so sorry, the innkeeper said to Rabdiskin. Please forgive me. I, I never meant to insult you. Are you sure Labdiskin thought for a moment? I'll forgive you, he said. But there's a condition. Sure, I I'll do anything, whatever you ask. Simple, said Ravdiskin. I want you to come to my house and be my guest for two weeks. The innkeeper looked at him. What? What do you mean? You heard me. Come to me for two weeks and all is forgiven. A few weeks later, this innkeeper, this ordinary Jew, came to stay with Ravdiskin at his home in Brisk and he stayed with him for two weeks. And guess what? Ravdiskin treated him like a king, like royalty. He lavished him with every comfort imaginable. He served him personally. He took care of him because there is no such thing as royalty or not royalty. 
when it comes to taking care of others. Everyone is worthy of the utmost attention. Whether you are Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin, or the Koyden of Rebbe, or an innkeeper, or even an Eved Ivri, you are a brother, you are a sister, you are a prince, you are a princess. That is the way it should be. And that's why Eved Ivri is the first mitzvah in Parshas Mishpatim, because that's the lesson we all need to learn, even before we start looking at civil laws and the rules of how we conduct our lives. That's it. Thank you so much for watching or for listening, and I look forward to you joining me next time. Thank you. Thank you.